We've talked about future 50 goal scorers on this program, and two weeks ago we did the same with the second-best player debate. This week we couldn't help but notice how many solid young defensemen the NHL currently possesses. As a matter of fact, three of the top 10 offensive defensemen in the 2019-2020 season are younger than 25 years of age. Two of them are rookies. So this week, while the hockey world remains on pause, we review the youngest, brightest NHL Blue Liners. Episode 211 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Hope everyone's at home, safe and sound. Yep. And hopefully you stay at home. Social distancing, <laughs> um, as they say. We've been social distancing yeah, since distancing. five years ago. You know, we've, yeah. we've never even met in person, so... We've yeah, been doing yeah, that. Yeah, we've been practicing for, for five years. We've been yeah. out of the curve. All right, yeah, we've been planning that, that will probably be the term that is used to define all of 2020 as social distancing. Yeah. Uh, just a quick COVID-19 update in the sports world, a hockey world anyway, before we get to our topic. The OHL, the QMJHL, and the WHL have all canceled – oh, sorry, English – have all canceled the remainder of their regular seasons, which means if they restart their season, they will go straight to playoffs. So uh, there's your little bit of news. Uh, Also a little bit of a housekeeping note, starting next week, we will be breaking down the top prospects for every team. We will tackle three teams per episode, starting with Anaheim, Arizona, and Boston. So that'll be next week. This week, Brett, we're talking young defensemen. Well, also, I thought you were going to mention the fact that uh, two uh, senators have been tested positive uh, for the coronavirus. So it's not just the oh, NBA. Oh yeah, that, um, yeah, that's right. We have our we have yeah. our patient zeros of the NHL group, and of course, it's my Ottawa senators. Yeah. They can't catch a break, literally. Yeah, yeah, can't catch a break even when there's no hockey. Yeah, I thought that's what you were going with, but uh, yeah, and also, yeah, I guess. No, no, I appreciate you reminding me. Um, also, if there is um, anything, um, if since we're talking about other leagues that uh, canceled their season, the NCAA also canceled their season too. So, um, right. Yeah. So there. Uh, so because it would be March Madness as well, the Frozen Four. Um, that's not happening this year, and all that stuff. Yeah. But that kind of sparked us to like say like hey we're gonna like we don't talk about prospects that often other than the draft and stuff like that or whenever there's a trade or whatever but we're gonna take this time to actually talk about prospects but not this week because we figured it out like on friday so um we're gonna do it today um or we're gonna do it next week uh, so yeah, we're now we've been we've been trying to talk about this for a bit now because uh, there's a bunch of young defensemen here, um, and uh, they're they're kind of taking over the the league in a way, um, and so we're we're kind of trying to figure out what can we expect from them going forward, and will they ever win the Norris? Um, of course, this sparked it because uh, Quinn 
Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr are both killing it in the NHL, and they're both the front runners for the Calder. It's not Jack Hughes, Quinn's brother, but um, yeah, surprisingly, yeah. Um, I I still have faith that Jack Hughes will be back, but um, not at the moment, um, or not this year at least. Um, and uh, yeah, and Kale McCarr, um, who's also been really good. Um, so we have a we have a list of fifteen defensemen here. Um, we're gonna try to do it like the the fifty goal thing that we did um, a couple weeks ago, but this time we're both going to listen to the rules where once a player's picked, we the other person can't pick them again. So, uh, so here's the list here because there's a couple of guys here. I mean, not that it matters for you guys, but for just for context here. Uh, so Kale McCarr of Colorado, Quinn Hughes. Vancouver, Zach Warinski of Columbus, Tony D'Angelo of the Rangers, Adam Fox, also the Rangers, Shea Theodore of Vegas, Charlie McAvoy of Boston, Neil Pionk of Winnipeg, Rasmus Dahlin in Buffalo, Thomas Shabbat in Ottawa, uh, Ivan Provorov of Philadelphia, Miro Heiskanen of Dallas, Jacob Trick, uh, Jacob Trickrin in Arizona. I still didn't get that right. Um, and and Seth Jones of Columbus. Um, so those are our 15 defensemen we have here. Um, yeah, uh, so do you want to start things off? Yeah, sure. If you pass over the invitation, we all start off. Yeah. Sure, why not? All right, so uh, my first player is going to be, well, we talked about him. Let's get him out of the way. Kale McCarr, the Colorado Avalanche. Um, the thing about Colorado entering this year is the legit offensive leader on the back end. Uh, the Avalanche, as many people know, traded Tyson Berry to the Maple Leafs in the offseason. He was their power play quarterback for many, many years, and they were kind of hoping that after watching Kiel McCarr make a strong impact in the playoffs in 2019, the hope was that he would continue to deliver and emerge as the offensive leader of the future. And not only has he shown to be the offensive leader of the future, he is the offensive leader of the present on their back end. Taking a look at his stats real quick, 12 goals in 57 games, uh, tied for second in the league amongst defensemen with four game winners. Um, his 12 goals are 11th amongst defenders. Uh, he's 10th amongst NHL defensemen in assists with 38, uh, 7th in points with 50 in 57 games, 19 power play points, so that's 9th amongst all blue liners. Uh, only 121 shots on goal, so that puts him 53rd amongst defenders. And his ice time per game isn't really all that high. It's only just over 21 minutes. That's good for 75th amongst all defenders but he played a lot of power play time which helps when you're on the same team as Nathan McKinnon over 200 minutes on the power play 11th amongst defensemen um averaging three minutes 40 seconds of special teams play 40 giveaways 34 takeaways not a bad ratio either there so definitely a very good rookie campaign for Kale McCarr. What's really caught my attention is that when we're taking a look at his numbers, we're not just talking 
rookie defenseman. We're talking all NHL defensemen. If Makar is able to get more shots on target and he keeps shooting the puck more, I'm confident that those shot totals will improve every single year. Uh, in his tw- in his first 20 games, he had 22 points, wasn't even averaging 20 minutes per game at that point. And before uh, quarter four came to an abrupt halt, he was averaging over 22 minutes per game. In an 82-game season, Kale McCarr would surpass 70 points, which for any defenseman is great. For a rookie defenseman, it's almost unprecedented. It's something we haven't seen in years, decades even. And if he played a full 82 games, he would have gotten 72 points. The Avs as a team might have a ton of skill on their top line. They might have more depth on their second and third lines compared to last year. They might be generating the most power play time out of any team overall in the league. Um, But they were leaving behind a big offensive presence, a big veteran hole on defense. Again, like I said, when they traded Tyson Berry to the Maple Leafs and they knew Bowen Byram couldn't fill that void. He's a few years away before he can have the kind of impact that Kale McCarr has. And Eric Johnson, while he has a lot of leadership qualities, he's not nearly the offensive presence that Tyson Berry was. So they put, again, a lot of faith in Kale McCarr to deliver. And he's just been so explosive, so fast. It's incredible to watch him play. So now the question becomes what he can do on a year-by-year basis. I can definitely see him averaging 50 to 60 points a year, 15 to 20 points on the power play with this roster in front of him because he has Nathan McKinnon to work with, because he has Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog to work with as well. The role they play on their top line is instrumental. And Makar is going to get, in theory, a lot of time on the power play with those three guys. It'll be a couple of years like i said before someone like bowen byram is getting some of kale mccarr's power play minutes so until that happens you could see him surpass 60 to 70 points on a regular basis and i think if he's going to win the norris probably in his earlier years it's his best opportunity because if byram ends up being the player that we think he's going to be he's probably going to take away a bit of mccarr's production so i think it's it's very likely that at some point in his career kale mccarr will win the norris i think three plus years is a reasonable timeline because you have roman yossi in his prime he's been very good for nashville you have john carlson in his prime he's been very good for washington don't forget about morgan riley who had a very good season with the leafs this year when fully healthy i expect him to be one of the best defensemen, just like I expect Eric Carlson to be one of the best defensemen in the league when he's on his game and when he's fully healthy. So it's definitely not going to be easy for anyone that we're going to be talking about today to win the Norris Trophy, but I definitely think Kale McCarr has what it takes to, within the next three to four years, win the Norris Trophy. There's not a doubt in my mind. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these the players, the defensemen we're going to be talking about have the capability of winning the uh, Calder, or not the Calder, the Norris um, eventually, but Kale McCarr, I agree with you, I think Kale McCarr has a pretty good shot um, considering um, his deployment and stuff. 
Um, I will say that it is impressive that, I mean, I mean, I guess for a lot of these defensemen too, but like that Kale McCarr, this is Kale McCarr's like first real season in the league. And he's mm-hmm. already um, like, he's already like a superstar in the league, you know, 50 points in 57 yeah. games. Um, and like, I, I was unsure. Uh, I remember when we did our season preview, I like had the, Kale McCarr was going to be our player to watch simply because he is a rookie and like, yeah, he was hyped and highly touted before getting into the league, but we weren't sure how good he was going to be because of that Tyson Berry trade. We weren't sure if like Kale McCarr was going to be able to um, live up to that expectation. And so far he has. Um, so I'll be curious to see well, yeah, how it goes. And the key word is so soon as well, because yeah. there aren't too many players that go from playing college hockey to playing meaningful NHL minutes and scoring 50 plus points in a season. Yeah. And so and that doing so in just 12 months, right? Right. And you know, what's crazy yet is, and this is going to be the second person I'm going to talk about, um, Quinn Hughes, he's been just as good as Kale McCarr has been. And he has a similar path to uh, Kale McCarr, and he's like one year younger, I believe. Um, he went to Michigan uh, his drafted year. He had 33 points in 32 games in Michigan. Um, and then he went to uh, Vancouver the next year, um, and he kind of fit in right away. Uh, he has 53 points in 68 games, um, and that would put him at a total of 63 games if he had played a full season. Obviously, I guess you can say that like not everyone has played a full season yet, but 63 points for a defenseman yeah. is still pretty pretty good. Um the one thing I will say though, and like and like Kale McCarr, he's been on the power play uh for Vancouver. Um I mean, obviously Colorado has better forwards, uh especially with McKinnon there and Rantanen, but Elias Pettersson's is still pretty damn good, as well as Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and all those guys. So Vancouver is a legitimate team now, um, and Quinn Hughes will be relied upon for um, for Vancouver in order to like all of their future. Um, he is, dare I say, he is as important to the Canucks as uh, Elias Pettersson is. Um, just purely because like the defenseman for Vancouver, it's pretty much just Hughes and um, an Edler and Edler is like 35 years old, you know? So, um, whereas for Colorado, you have Eric Johnson, you have um, uh, Ryan Graves, who's been pretty good. You have, uh, yeah. uh, you mentioned a couple of other guys. Um, Eric Johnson, Kale McCarr, obviously. Um, there's another defenseman. Nikita Zadorov is another Zadorov is another one. Whereas Vancouver, like Troy Stetcher, who's that guy? <laughs> you know, uh, so they, uh, like, that there is one thing in terms of like I I think or I guess Tyler Myers is another one. He's been decent um, yeah. in Vancouver, but I I would still take Colorado's defenseman core over Vancouver's core and that's why I like Quinn Hughes a little bit more uh, than Kale McCarr Um, and it is also interesting considering that like so far at least Quinn Hughes has been the better 
Hughes' brother um, in the league so far. Because um, we all thought that, like, oh, Jack Hughes is going to be good right away, but Quinn Hughes is, is already pretty good. They're both, I guess what does it is that they're both pretty short. Uh, five, uh, Quinn Hughes is five foot ten, um, and you don't see a ton of short defensemen out there. Um, I guess Kale McCarr is all it's five foot eleven, so it's uh, I guess it's just the times are changing now. But um, I thought that was a little bit interesting, um, and uh, there was another thing that I was going to mention, but I'm blanking on it now. But yeah, I. Oh, and also, I mean, from a fantasy perspective, uh, there is something to the fact that, uh, like, for Kale McCarr, he seems to be more well-rounded. Um, he hits, he blocks um, a bit, like, a little bit less than what you're used to for defensemen, um, just from a fantasy perspective. But, like, yeah. Quinn Hughes, he only has seven hits <laughs> um, so far. Um and uh, that's not great. So, um, for a defenseman, um, so that's like one concern where like I kind of want to see him be more physical and be more out there. But it is a little tough when you're five ten and you weigh one seventy five pounds, um, something like that. So I I kind of want to see him like get a l- little bit fatter. <laughs> if that's weird to say, but. Like a little bit more muscle. You, you want you want yeah. more you want more meat on those bones. Exactly, and um, because like I mean I guess it just feels weird to me. Like I get I know that it's like a new NHL and uh, you know having muscle is not as big of a deal anymore uh, compared to what it used to be. Uh, but still, I, I I feel like he's still a little bit less. Uh, physical than he needs to be um, long term, but we'll see. So that's where I am a little bit conflicted because um, it depends on how much weight he puts on. I mean, he's still like you know that's the good news is he's 21 years old, or yeah, he's 20 years old. Sorry, <laughs> even even better. So he you know he still has time to actually grow um, into his own you know, and get some muscle over the season. Maybe that's what he's doing over this long break. But, um, so that is a concern. Um, and I'm not sure how durable he can be, um, in, uh, in the future, but I do think he is a very good defenseman, um, and should be for quite some time, especially considering he's going to have Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser, on his team for a, a pretty long time. And those are, you know, two guys to, that are good to develop with. Um, and so, um, and they're gonna be a, like, those three are gonna be a big part of the core um, in the future. And so I like, I like that aspect of it. Um, so will he ever win the Norse? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Um, and I think we could expect him to maybe like put up some like 60 point stuff or 60 point seasons um or 55 point seasons um but there is that little part of my brain that's going like well how sustainable is this if he's not as a physical as a a usual defenseman is um of course you know if you have the skill he has in terms of playmaking you know, you don't really need to be physical, but I still would like to see a little bit more physicality out of him. 
Yeah, I think the thing with the skill and muscle is you can add muscle, but you can't teach skill. Like skill is one of those attributes that doesn't always come to everyone. It's why you sometimes see, you know, guys who play very well at the junior level on the third or the fourth line. Um, You know, they don't have that extra level of skill that makes them that much more valuable and Quinn Hughes I think has that extra level of skill what really intrigues me about Hughes is that when the Canucks signed Alex Edler to that mini two-year extension I think the hope for a lot of people was that he was going to be the guy that was going to nurture Quinn Hughes along and just like slowly ease him into things but health has been a problem for Edler the past couple of years and instead of just slowly been eased into the fold he poor quinn Hughes has just been thrown to the wolves and and just asked to like fight and he's fought and he's fought very well uh if you even take a look at his offensive stats they're better than mccars yeah he's um third in assists amongst defensemen with 45 uh top five in defensive scoring as well um in terms of power play points, he's tied for third amongst defensemen. He has 25 power play points in 68 games. Around the same amount of shot goal as Kale McCarr. So, again, on par with McCarr in, in some instances. Uh, you take a look at his power play time on ice this season, over 258 minutes. That's ridiculous. The only defender with more is John Carlson and... He's been around this league for, what, six, seven, eight years. A lot more of a veteran presence, um, a lot more veteran experience than a guy like Quinn Hughes. So he's really held his own, and I'm very, very impressed by that. Um, If you take a look at the league's top power play units as well, uh, you might have guessed that Colorado's power play has been very active and very lethal. But the Canucks in their own right have been very good with the extra man they've combined for 21 power play goals with these five guys Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Pearson and Quinn Hughes it's also interesting to note that Quinn Hughes also ranks third in puck position per game this year with an average of two minutes 31 seconds per game the only guys with a higher average per game Roman Yossi of the National Predators, Thomas Shabbat of the Ottawa Senators and again, he has done this without the help of Alex Edler. Yeah. I also go back to the point about Tyler Myers. Tyler Myers is a big physical shutdown defenseman. He kind of compensates for what Hughes doesn't have. True. So if he played very well around him, behind him, I should say, and he can do all the dirty work, Quinn Hughes can afford to make a mistake and not get burned because Tyler Myers will be there to back him up. Yeah, that's a good point. So I think the, I think the usefulness of Tyler Myers can't be underestimated there, but I also give mad props to Quinn Hughes because the Canucks have needed guys like Elias Peterson and Brock Besser and, of course, Jakob Markstrom to play big roles. But 
knows where they'd be if it wasn't for Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes has played a very pivotal role for them. And I definitely think he has as good a chance at winning the Norris as Kale McCarr does, frankly. Well, he, currently, Quinn Hughes has more points than Kale McCarr does, although he's played in a little bit more games. So that's, um, <laughs> I think yeah. it would have been interesting to see how that would have showed down or... I guess they're still going to ho- have the Calder Trophy, so um, it, w- it will mm-hmm. be interesting to see who's... It'll be interesting to see if, if one of them gets nominated for the Norris. Like, yeah. both have had pretty good seasons. That's also year. possible, too. Although, I feel like Yossi and Carlson and Hedman are going to be the three there. But, um, yeah, we'll yeah, see. Yossi and Carlson, sure, will be in. Um... Yeah. Um, so who's your second defenseman? Well, uh, we haven't talked about him all that much on the air because the team around him hasn't been that great. But I'm sure you are aware, Brett, during our off-air chats on email, yep, how good Thomas Shabbat has played for the Ottawa Senators I knew this it. year. This guy, this guy is an absolute workhorse. And he proved that by playing a lot of grueling ice time this year. Um, his rookie season was pretty decent, 25 points in 63 games, 8 power play points, 94 shots. Um, in a full 82-game season, he would have gotten 33 points, which, for again, for a rookie is pretty respectable, um, averaging just over 17 minutes and 30 seconds per game in the process. You take a look at... Again, a situation where he's thrown into the fire, so to speak. Eric Carlson gets traded to the Sharks. All of a sudden, Thomas Shabbat is the guy. And you look at around the Sens' defense, you're just like, wow, what does he have to work with here? This is not going to be fun for Thomas Shabbat. And what does he do? He puts up 55 points in 70 games, 41 assists, 14 goals, 16 power play points on a Sens' team that doesn't look so sexy. 185 shots on goal, 13th in the league amongst defenders. Um, 112 block shots to go along with 71 hits. So he was helping out in other areas. Um, if he played in a full 82 games last year, he gets 64 points. Pretty good. His average time on ice per game, 24-17, 15th in the league amongst defensemen. Over 200 minutes on the power play, ranks 22nd in the league there. The giveaway takeaway ratio was probably the one blemish for Shabbat last year. He had 72 giveaways, 31 takeaways. But again, Young Sen's team, not that much around him. You kind of take that ratio with a grain of salt because given the circumstances Shabbat played, just about as well as you could have expected. Then you take a look at this year's stats. A little bit of a downgrade, but not honestly that much. Uh, 33 assists in 71 games, 39 points, 6 goals, uh, 11 power play points. 186 shots on goal puts him 7th in the league. Um, He contributes as well again in hits and block shots. He had 79 hits, 85 blocks. Um, In an 82-game season, he gets 45 points. This is where you really start to see Thomas Shabbat kind of blossom. The time on ice, again, a little bit of a jump, not as big as a jump as he made uh, the year before from his rookie to his second year. But 
26 minutes per game is what he averages on the nose. And that's good enough to not only be in the top five, not just be in the top three. He leads the league in time on ice per game this year. Over 230 minutes of power play time. He's fifth in that category. Um, giveaway, takeaway ratio, again, still not that great. But again, the Sens aren't that good of a team. In fact, they're worse compared to the year before because the year before for half the year, Shabbat had at least Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne to work with. This year, he had what? Connor Brown? Yeah. Chris Tierney? Not that much at all to work with. Jean-Gabriel Pajot for half a season. Anthony Duclair as well. Again, not nearly the centers that we saw a couple of years ago. Now we take a bit of a deeper look into his time on ice, and that's where you, again, really get to see the true value in Thomas Shabbat. In about 36 games last year, this guy played between 25 minutes and 29 minutes, 59 seconds in a game. Suited up for about 70 games. So roughly half the action he sees, he plays in at least 25 minutes a night. Pretty good for a second-year guy being asked to fill a very big void left by Eric Carlson. For all of those saying, oh, you know, most of his 55 points are thanks to Mark Stone and Matt Duchesne, that might be true, but in his final 16 games, he had eight points, and in his final nine games, he had six points, and was also paired with Dylan DeMello and Cody Cece for most of the year. So, again, take the stats with a grain of salt. Shabbat, all things considered, had a pretty good year. We go to this season where he takes it to another level. He began the season with 11 points in 20 games. Then he got 14 points in the next 22. Start to slide over his next 21 when he recorded just eight points, but in six of, in, in, he got six points in the final eight contest before um, the unexpected stoppage in NHL play. This guy never logged. 30 minutes in his career before the start of the season. This season, he did that 11 times, and he did it in four straight games in mid-December. Every single game he played during that stretch was over 30 minutes. Two of those 30-minute games that he played this season, two of those 11 30-minute games he played was none other than against the Tampa Bay Lightning, who, I don't know if you heard, have a lot of high-octane offensive talents on that roster. And Shabbat played a career-high 37 minutes, 50 seconds against the Tampa Bay Lightning, December 17th, a game that went into overtime, still played more than half the game. It honestly felt like in that four-game stretch, half of his shifts were going way past 50 seconds, and next thing you know, it's well over a minute. So they were really, really riding on Thomas Shabbat for that chunk of December. In another 17 games this year, he played between 27 minutes and 29.59. In another eight contests, he played in the neighborhood of 26 minutes to 26.59. In another seven games, he played between 25 minutes and 25.59 on the ice. The lowest ice time he played this year was four minutes, 22 seconds against the Habs on February 22nd a game that he left early due to injury and did not return. If you take away that game against Montreal, he played at least 20 minutes in every single game this year. So 
if you take into account Thomas Shabbat's statistics last year, and you take into account the learning tools that he's gained this year by playing a lot of minutes, by playing in the high leverage situations uh, with two minutes left, maybe there's a big penalty kill he goes out there for, as he is getting trusted more in big situations and they keep getting bigger and this team gets better because you see all of the prospects starting to make their mark at the big league level. You're going to see a very talented Ottawa Senators team that's tough to shut down offensively. You will see the offensive stats from Thomas Shabbat hit 50, maybe 60, maybe even 70 per year. And at that point, in five plus years, I definitely think Thomas Shabbat is fully capable of winning the Norris Trophy. He could reach Eric Carlson expectations. Yeah. I could see that. The thing, though, with Thomas Shabbat, though, is that, um, like you were saying, it's just the team around him. And um, where, like, it, se- it did seem like he got a boost, um, beca- uh, like, last year when he had Matt Duchesne and Mark Stone on his team um, and stuff. But then... Like, you're right. When I was looking at his, like, average time on ice, and you kept on mentioning this all the time, but, like, you know, the fact that he's, like, averaging 26 minutes on ice, um, which is insane, even for a defenseman, um, it's like, you know, I I do kind of worry about maybe they're working him too hard um, and, like, they're asking too much out of him. But um, at the same time, it's like Thomas Shabbat's, like, the only good player on the team, I guess, other than maybe Anthony Duclair, who has his moments, but, um, oh, so don't forget about Brady Kachuk, who's Brady like Kachuk's top 10 one, yeah. in hits and shots on okay. goal as well. For, I, I did forget about him for some reason, <laughs> but like, I thought, I thought you would mention Brady Kachuk before Anthony Duclair. For yeah, 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 I guess you're right. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> actually, you're right. I should say, Tom, let me rephrase this. Thomas Shabbat is uh, probably, outside of Brady Kachuk, uh, the best player on the Sens. Um, and it's pretty much Kachuk and Shabbat and everyone else. Um, for some reason, I forgot about... Well, you know what it was? Because Duclair got the, um, the All-Star Game nomination instead of Brady Kachuk. And I thought that was weird. Although, I guess, eventually, Brady Kachuk did end up going, but... Um, <laughs> I just, I think that's probably why I thought like I I had Duclair. But anyways, my point still stands. It's not like the Senators have a ton of uh, things going for them other than Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat. So um, right, and and Anthony Duclair, who's also having <laughs> he had a good season too. But right, but the, but yeah. the theories, but the theory is in time they're going to add more pieces. Right. They're going to get better and that will lead to the right. dominant Thomas Shabbat that you're going to see in a couple of years. But, like, what I would like to see out of him, like, or from the Sens is, like, I wonder what's going to happen when Eric Brandstrom starts get, getting going or a, a couple sure. of other defensemen starts getting going. Um, it, will, yep. it will be good for him, for Shabbat, because he doesn't have um, as much responsibilities to take over, um, and he can focus on just offense or whatever he's good at but um i think it there is a part of it where he has been given a lot more 
responsibilities that he doesn't necessarily need to do. Yeah, I, I just think this was a good season to really build the stamina. Yeah, so when you need him to come up with a big game, he can do it no problem because he played through a full season of that. Yep, that's fair. Um, so my next defenseman I'm going to talk about is also kind of in a similar situation to Thomas Shabbat um, because he's not on a good team, except he does have... Um, he, is, he was a first overall pick. I think you know where I'm going with this because he's the only one who is the first overall pick on this list. Uh, and I'm going to go with Rasmus Dahlin here. Um, I think he's a little bit interesting because he... So I was looking at his stats the other day because I was thinking like, oh yeah, he was like, he won, he was nominated for the Calder last year. He had a pretty decent year. Um, his rookie year, he had 44 points in 82 games. Um, he's going to be something special. I keep on like, I remember his draft year, I kept on seeing all these highlights of him in Sweden and just being like phenomenal. I was like, I can't wait for to see this kid in the NHL. And, um, you know, he's been really good. Um, and like he had a really good season last year, even though Buffalo wasn't that good. He had 44 points in 82 games. And then I go and look to see how he's doing this year. Not as much, he, he doesn't have as much buzz as he did last year for some reason, but I noticed that he had four, he has 40, 40 points in 59 games. Um, which means that like he, he was about to, surpassed his point total from last year um although i guess he has been injured a bit from the last season um so uh there is something to that where uh so i guess he's projected to get four, 49 points in 72 games if he played a full season or if he played um you know if the season didn't get postponed um but like that just sh that that is like a crazy number to see that he still had 40 points in 59 games um even though he had um his average time on ice was lessened uh 19 minutes of games the sabers are much worse than they were last year as well um so there is something to yeah. to that where he is still doing pretty well even though his team's not doing well and it doesn't like he his ice time has been lessened um, than what it was beforehand. So I find that kind of interesting to uh, mention. Um, and I, I still think he is a good defenseman. He was like, you know, there's a good reason why he was picked first overall unanimously. I can't speak. Um, but. Um, so I think there is something to like, he just needs to work on his defense a little bit more. Um, but you know, he was definitely, you know, someone to watch out for in the meantime, but it seems like he's having, it looks like on paper, it looks like he's having a down year, but then when you really look into it, he like, it looks like he's, he's having like the best season of his career um, just given the fact that he doesn't have as much ice time and his point totals aren't as high as we expect them to be. Um, but 
I, so as for if I think you'll ever win the Norris, I think you will. Um, and obviously like 40 points is not what we, or like the 40 point range is not what we expect out of Rasmus Dahlin. Um, but I would expect to see that it's not like, you know, just from the defenseman in Buffalo, um, they don't really like, I guess they got Brandon Montour over the off season. He hasn't been great. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with just this coach isn't that good. Um, so, so maybe they'll replace, uh, have a coaching change. Um, even though I know it's been one season with Ralph Kruger, but I could see that happening where maybe like, they're like, you know what, this just isn't working. Um, so I could see could see that maybe happening, um, especially with how many coaches are available now. Um, so I could see like if he gets a better coach, then I think eventually he could be like a sixty point defenseman, um, and then he'll be a Norris Trophy guy. Um, I just think that maybe the like he's not as good right away as Kale McCarr is and as Quinn Hughes is right away. Um, so, but I still think, um, he is good and someone to watch out for. And so I would say that he'll win a Norris trophy, um, in his future. I just don't think it's going to be in three years. I think it's going to be like in five years, um, something like that. Um, yeah, I definitely think, um, if you take a look at, Rasmus Dahlin in the situation that he's in, you also compare it to Kale McCarr with the Avs and Quinn Hughes with the Vancouver Canucks. There's more offensive stability in Vancouver and Colorado than there is in Buffalo. And I also think coaching has something to do with that. Coaching, it's something the Sabres, like the Oilers for the longest time, weren't right. able to figure out. Um, at, at, I think the Sabres just like have an identity crisis almost like yeah. they're, they're not quite sure what they are or what they have to do to get to the next level. No matter what they try, it's never enough. And the fact that they're in the star studded Atlantic division right. makes things even worse for them. Like they're, they're having a tough time keeping up with Florida and Montreal. So yeah. um, it hasn't been a good season for Buffalo, which in turn hasn't been a good season for Asmus Dallin. But right. I, I think there is potential there, and the hope is that once Buffalo gets their ducks in a row and gets things on track and can sustain some success in the regular season, that will in turn lead to individual success with Rasmus Dallin. Yeah. I also think there needs to be more stability on defense. I don't really know, like you said, if Buffalo's defense has what it takes yep. and until we see that stability on the back end, on the offense, everywhere from top to bottom with that team, it's going to be tougher and tougher for Rasmus Dallin to win the Norris trophy. Yeah. And I think that is the key there, but the good news is that, you know, he's still, we all know that he has that potential. Um, and he's still like having a pretty good season for him, um, you know. And he has Jack Eichel on his team uh, that can help. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's like it's really like Rasmus the on the terms of Buffalo as a whole. 
their defense has been an issue for a long time now. Um, and Dallene is one of the bright spots on their on their roster for for a while now. Um, I mean, they have Ris- Rasmus Ristolainen, um, they Brandon Montour, Henry Yokiaru, um, Colin Miller, but um, all all of those guys, including Dallene, have all had an off year, um, and that lends me to believe that, like, you know. The Sabres are bad, but they shouldn't be this bad. Um, I think I, I'm a big believer yeah. in like the, the they always find their level kind of thing. So I mean, maybe there is uh, it's just a coaching thing, um, but um, yeah, I think eventually they'll figure it out. But it's it's definitely not this season. I think they could take salt. I know it's probably frustrating because you know teams like Edmonton and Vancouver. <coughs> Uh, like the Rangers, they're all like, they were all like in their rebuilding phases and now they actually have some hope in them. Um, and they, you know, it seems like the Sabres have been in rebuilding mode for five plus years now. Um, so it, it is yeah. kind of like, fr- I could see why that's frustrating from a Sabres perspective but on the other hand, it's like you can take solace in the fact that the Oilers literally were in worse shape than the Sabres ever were. Um, I mean, I, well, not that's not true, but they were in around the same <laughs> around the same shape. And now the Oilers are like the, were the hottest team in the league, where they have like the two best players in the league. So I um, I think you can take solace in the fact that like oh Edmonton has figured it out. And a big reason for Edmonton figuring it out is they have a good defensive system figured out. You know, they have Oscar Clefon, they have Darnell Nurse, they have Chris Russell, they have, um, I'm blanking on all their other defensemen that they have, but, you know, they have a system in place that's working for them. And I think it, it could show that, like, oh, it's like a coaching issue instead of, like, it's not the wrong players. Um, it could also be a general manager uh <laughs> issue too because it's like they did spend uh they did get colin miller and henry yokiaru uh this off season and that didn't help um and they were going to trade rasmus ristolainen uh, i guess there's no takers for rasmus ristolainen for some reason so it's like um they you know they got all these defensemen and now it's it's still their weak point um, so it's it's kind of confusing. Um, I think their weak the weak the weak point that the Buffalo Sabers have with their, their defense is they're all learning on the fly at once. They don't really have anyone to like lean on. You know, they're yeah, all learning together, and that's the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the thing with I was going to mention with Darlene, and we'll get to your next defenseman. This turned into a how do we fix the Sabers uh, episode instead. But, um, um, yeah, the thing with Rasmus Salina is he's still 19 years old. So, I, I, I mean, I guess he has a couple. His birthday's on April 13th, so he's about to turn 20 pretty soon. But um, So there is something to that where he is, like, he's still growing. Um, and I still, like, in defensemen, usually take a lot longer to develop fully. So there's still time for him. You just have to have patience for him. Um, like you did for a lot of players as well. So 
there's that. Yeah. Um, so who's your next defenseman? Uh, so my next defenseman and my final defenseman that I'm going to take is Shea Theodore of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, and this is a pretty interesting case, I must say. Um, it, it, it all started last year. Last year was kind of the season where it started to turn in the right direction for Shea Theodore. Um, his small sample size in Anaheim. Uh, was pretty decent. He had uh, eight points in 19 games in 2015-16. Then he had nine points in 34 games before, of course, moved to Vegas. He gets uh, 29 points in 61 games his first year when Vegas goes to the finals. Last year, he had 12 goals, 25 assists for 37 points in 79 games. And uh, in that season... He also had 202 shots on goal, which ranked him ninth amongst all NHL defensemen. There have been three defensemen in the past two seasons. There are three defensemen that have had at least 200 shots in the past two seasons. There is Roman Yossi, there is Brent Burns, and then there's this guy, Shea Theodore. Uh, this year, 219 shots on goal that ranks fourth amongst all defensemen, and he has 13 goals and 33 assists for 46 points in 71 games, which includes a career-high 16 power play points as well. Uh, you take a look at his uh, power play time, it's increased steadily every single year. He had over 190 minutes of power play time last year, good for 27th in the league amongst defensemen. This year, over 220 minutes, that's eighth highest in the league amongst defensemen. And so that's an average of just over three minutes per game. Giveaway-takeaway ratio has also improved. Um, if you take a look at his second year with the Ducks, he had four takeaways and a whopping 30 giveaways, not a good ratio at all. Um, improved on that in his first year in Vegas, only 42 giveaways, 25 takeaways. Then you look at last year and wow, 59 giveaways, 82 takeaways. I believe only two other defensemen had more takeaways uh, than uh, Shea Theodore did last year. And uh, just taking a look at um, the stats here. Uh, they say Brent Burke and Jakob Slavin were the other two defensemen that had takeaways than Theodore did last year. So that's pretty decent company there. Um, if you take a look at his missed shots, he was 19th in the league last year. This year, third overall with 96 missed firings. So again, if you get more shots on goal and you improve on that accuracy, that'll lead to some more explosive offensive numbers, which, you know, definitely helps Shea Theodore because already his offensive numbers are pretty good. Then I found this stat from Jesse Granger, uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights insider for The Athletic. So there are 213 defensemen that have played at least 400 minutes of ice time this year in 2019-2020. Shea Theodore ranks very high in a lot of categories in that list of 213 defensemen. He sits at the very top, first overall in Corsi percentage, shot percentage, 
scoring chance percentage, times goal percentage, and complete stretch passes. He also ranks third in both slot shots and one-timers, and has also registered the eighth most blocked passes. And the eighth most blocked passes are a very critical stat to me because if you rank in the league's top 10 defensemen out of that group of 213, it points to a little bit of improved defensive play because you're getting better at your all-around play when turning the puck over as much. Maybe that translates into more trust in do-or-die situations. Two minutes left to go in the game, or you need a big penalty kill. Maybe they put out Shea Theodore in that situation. When you get more trust with your coach, you become a better defenseman because you're playing in more situations, and your coach feels more comfortable playing you in those situations because he has a lot of confidence. And it's kind of a coin toss as to whether or not Shea Theodore can win the Norris Trophy um, because there's a lot of promising young defensemen on the rise in the Western Conference alone in that division alone. Um, the Oilers have Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones um, and um, the Vegas Golden Knights also have Nick Hague in the system too. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, what kind of role he plays there. Elsewhere in the Western Conference, again, Yossi and Petrangelo, they're still going to be around for a couple of years, too. So when Shea Theodore really hits his stride, that's probably going to be his best chance within the next five years. I would say that's his best window. Um, but then again, Giordano won his first Norris in his mid-30s, so I guess anything <laughs> can happen. True. Uh, I've, I, I'm, I think this is probably the hardest one to predict. Yeah. Um, out of the names that I have chosen. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure if he'll win a Norris, but he is having a breakout. I mean, quote unquote breakout year because he's, he's been unknown for a while now. But um, I thought it was always interesting the fact that, you know, the Ducks um, were willing to, you know, not protect him during the expansion draft and stuff. Um, and that turned out to be a mistake because, um, you know, he was, he's a very good defenseman. Um, and, you know, it's not like the Ducks have, that's their biggest issue now is their defensemen. So, um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of come full circle for them in that sense. But yeah, he's, he's a good defenseman. I, the reason why I'm not sure about if he'll ever win the Norris is just because I feel like there are so many defensemen out there like we're talking about, but I wouldn't be surprised at the same time that he eventually wins the Norris. Um, I just don't know if it's this year or not. So, yeah. Yeah, like, there's, like, he's he's in the level of... He's in the level of great defensemen, Yep, but there are some names that are in the level of very great defensemen. Yep. So True. the fact that he's on the cusp of very great defensemen, but not really there, um, unfortunately, might hurt his cause a little bit. But we'll see how much I guess as the years go by. For sure. Um, all right. So my, I guess this won't be a surprise for you on my last defenseman I'm going to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know where Probably I'm going. Probably know where you're going with this. Yep. Because uh, 
So you got to talk about your Ottawa Senators. I'm going to talk about yep. my Boston Bruins here. Um, of course, Charlie McAvoy here. Um, so the thing that's interesting, well, so we'll get into this too, because this, by the way, this actually shows how much we miss talking about our Bruins send segment. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, our bias is showing today. Exactly, exactly. But um, the, so the, so we'll, we'll talk about this later, but um, in a bit, once I start talking about Charlie McAvoy um, and how he's doing the season, um, but the thing with McAvoy that's kind of interesting compared to all the other ones, although we didn't really talk about Colton Pareko either, um, but the fact that Tory Krug is going to be a free agent this year, um, yep. this upcoming season. Um, and so I'll get, I'll get into that in a second, but I will mention that pretty soon because that will, um, change my answer on if he will get the calder or not um so uh i'm i'm a huge charlie mcavoy guy uh but i can understand why people don't like him as much just from like i'm big in the fantasy hockey circles and it seems like he's not great fantasy wise but at the same time he kind of is because like so i guess the reason why they say that is because he gets injured a bit um and he doesn't shoot a ton, which is fair. Um, so he has his goal totals aren't up the, up to speed uh, like they should be for an elite defenseman. But um, he um, but he does hit a ton, and he also blocks a ton, um, and that's great for uh, fantasy hockey. I know fantasy is not real life, but um, and if you ever watch him play. Um, live or on the TV or anything like he he's very impactful where like almost like he doesn't even have to show up on the goals goal sheets you can like score sheets like I can hardly notice any time where he feels out of place his in fact his first um, couple of games were in the playoffs of the 2016-2017 uh, playoffs um, where he didn't even seem that out of place uh, when the Bruins needed him. Um, and, oh, yeah, I, I'm, yeah, I'm well aware of that. Uh, my, yeah. my sins are well aware of that, too. Yeah, and, it, like, he he stepped at, right up. He, wasn't, he, he didn't even graduate from BU at that point, and he was, like, in there in the playoffs, and he was easily, like, the best defenseman, maybe the second best defenseman there. I have to remind myself again because I try to forget that series, but um, <laughs> I do, I do remember that that was a bright spot for that loss that year. Is that like, well, Charlie McAvoy is, looks like he's going to be a really good defenseman. Um, and, yeah, he, he fit yeah. right in. Like exactly. even in his first game, his NHL debut, he fit right in. Exactly, and. So then the next year he gets, you know, he has 32 points in 63 games. So he did have a lot of high expectations for him, but it's still like, you know, that's not bad. But the thing here is, is that in six, in those 63 games, he had 133 hits his rookie year, um, 80 blocks. Um, I know you're a big takeaway giveaway person. So he... He did have a couple, he had 44 giveaways and 22 takeaways. Um, so that's not good his rookie year, but uh, they they slowly improved. 
the next year, he got injured for uh, about half a third of the season. But he still had 28 points in 54 games, uh, 92 hits, and 91 blocks. That's around, like, so if he had played, a, if he was fully healthy, that would be like 130 hits, 129 blocks or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's like, he, you know, he has that going for him too. Then this season, um, which was kind of interesting too, because I, I still feel like he, um, you know, he doesn't always have to score because you know because they it's the Boston Bruins. There's David Pasternak. There's Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron who do that for him. Tory Krug is the uh, power play quarterback for them, so it's not like he's reliant on scoring and all that stuff. But he does all the little things, you know, um, and the things that make him special. He was also injured to start the year too, so that had some effect. But still. Uh, if the season were to end today, um, he has 67 games, so that's 67 games played, uh, 32 points, uh, which I'll get into in a second, and uh, he had 131 hits and 131 blocks. Um, he does have 68 giveaways, which isn't good, but 37 takeaways, which is his best uh, stat so far, it, it surpasses the other two seasons that he's already played. Um, and, um, the reason why I say I'm going to get back to the points stuff is because it took him until February to score his first goal. And once he scored the first goal, he started scoring more and started contributing more. Uh, so he, I have here in October, he had three points in 12 games three assists in 12 games. Um, in November, he had four points in 14 games. In December, he had six points in 12 games. Uh, then he had four points in 11 games. So, so far, those are all assists. I'm saying points, but those are all assists. And then we go into February, and he has 13 points in 14 games. That's four goals and nine assists. Um, and then he only played four games in March because, you know, because uh, of all this stuff that's happened. But he still had two points in four games. That just shows that he was just getting going, um, and he has five goals after his first goal in February. Um, so he was just getting going and just grooving and all that stuff. So that's... Trending that, like close to a point-per-game defenseman. Yeah, pretty much. And So in the last two months. And, and obviously that's a small sample size, but still, like... Um, 15 points in 18 games of his last 18 games. That's that's like really good. Um, and something yeah. like you know, like an extra uh, skater almost, or an extra forward almost. So that's something that's kind of interesting. And the reason why I talk about Tory Krug is this whole time, Tory Krug has been the power play quarterback. He has been the guy, the defenseman for the Boston Bruins. Um, he's been the guy who's dropped, driven the most play. He's uh, He's been their dynamo, dynamic rock, the defenseman that you go to um, after, like, you know, Chara stopped being as offensive as he usually has been tor- once Tory Crew came into the league. And now Tory Crew is going to be a UFA this offseason. And... Um, 
And he's probably going to want about, like, he's worth, Tory Crews worth about, like, I think reportedly he wants Brent Burns money, which is like $8 million a year. Um, I don't know if you know this, Steve, but, I mean, I know you talk about this offline uh, whenever I complain about the Bruins, but uh, the Bruins are kind of in cap hell. So... Um, even though they still have a great contract with David Pasternak and Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron, who all are making $6 million, um, around $6 million, or just a little bit more than $6 million, each of them. But they still uh, don't have a ton of cap space. So, uh, so Tory Krug, don't get me wrong, Tory Krug is worth $8 million per year the Bruins would have to make a ton of moves in order to make that happen. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen. And the thing is, is the thing, the one bright spot, if Tory Krug is gone next season, is that Charlie McAvoy is primed to be the guy um, and take over for Tory Krug's spot. Um, I mean, obviously it's going to suck not having Tory Krug there, but if you get a guy who's, um, Charlie McAvoy is 22 years old. Tory Krug's 28 years old, and Charlie McAvoy has shown that he is better all around than Tory Krug has been. Um, Charlie, I have 100% faith that Charlie McAvoy will be like will be able to hand like take over Tory Krug's spot on that first line power play spot. And I mean, there is some, some semblance that maybe like, because uh, I remember like every now and then whenever Tory Crew got injured, like Matt Grizzlick would take over the power play spot or Brandon Carlo would take over that spot. But in my mind, I think it's Charlie McVoy's spot to lose because I think he could take over that spot. And if he does, um, and if he succeeds, um, and it continues to improve. Like, I mean, obviously the takeaways and the giveaway stuff, he needs to shoot more too. But if that happens, then yeah, I think Charlie McAvoy could get a Norris Trophy um, in maybe five years, kind of like a Rasmus Dahlin type of situation. Um, I don't know, like, I'm, maybe I'm just a Bruins homer, um, but I do love this guy. Um, and I, I, I think he could be... He will, he would make the hurt of losing Tory Krug better because I think Charlie McAvoy could take over, um, and be like a maybe a sixty-point player, um, in the future. Yeah, I think inevitably that's probably what it's going to come down to because even getting rid of that Albatross contract uh, with David Backus in Anaheim, um depending on how the nhl situation plays out the cap could go down instead of up which makes it even tougher for the boston yep. bruins to keep tory krug in the fold and you also have to keep in mind there's david Krejci and tuka Rass that you're gonna have to keep in mind next year july 2021 when their contracts expire yep. and they're making what over six million each? Seven million. They, you know, Seven I million. get that they're probably like in their early thirties, but they're yep. they're still worth a lot. Yep. They're probably not going to take a home down hometown discount to stay with the Bruins. They probably yep. want to get their money's worth while they still can. 
Um, so I think that's where you have to really prioritize if you're the Boston Bruins. Okay. What's more important to keep around? What can we get away with? And if they feel very confident in Charlie McAvoy stepping into Phil Tory Crew's shoes, then they'll go that route. They'll part ways with Tory Krug and Charlie McAvoy becomes their guy. Yeah. And I, I can definitely, I can definitely agree with your logic that if Tory Krug leaves Boston, Charlie McAvoy can take that next leap. Um, I, I definitely, I can definitely see that happening. And Charlie McAvoy could be one of those bright defenseman that's just tearing up the league and could be doing so for many, many years. So I'm interested to see what happens with the Tory Krug situation and how it impacts McAvoy yeah. uh, in the offseason, whenever that is. I should say that for the record, I do want Tory Krug to stay in Boston. I'm just saying that if Tory Krug were to leave, um, I think Charlie, Ma- like I would be okay with it because Charlie McAvoy is on the team. It's yeah, not like, and it's a realistic, yeah. and it's a realistic scenario to of me. Course, it's yeah. 50-50, honestly. Like I love Tory Krug too, um, but <laughs> it's not like Tom Brady leaving the Patriots or Mookie Betts leaving the Patriots. <laughs> oh God, I just realized that's, that's Tory Krug could also join. This is 2020 just end already because Mookie and <laughs> Tom Brady, and we could lose Tory Krug. Ugh, damn it. All right. Now I just depress myself. I know. Feel bad for the Boston sports fan here, but um, yeah. And I think that's uh, where we should end the show, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, before Let's I get more depressed here. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, you can catch us on uh, SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Um, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yeah, there's not that much hockey, so we haven't been updating our Twitter a ton, but still follow us there. Um, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elser. We'll talk some prospects in episode 212 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. Yep. Stay safe.